You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Well, good morning. It's really good to see you all on this slightly damp and slightly chilling May day. We're continuing in our series, Journeying with Joshua, Living a Life of Faith. And previously we were looking at chapter six, which was called Overcoming Obstacles, where Jacob, Joshua faced the walls of Jericho. And God wanted to show Joshua that he had a plan, that he would bring down the walls. But God wanted something in return from Joshua. He wanted his submission, his obedience and his participation. And when Joshua gave that, God gave Joshua the victory. And today, if you like, is the sequel. If you were kind of going to the movies, this is the second part. So today we're looking at chapter seven. And if chapter six was all about God's victory, then chapter seven is all about the Israelites' defeat. And it's all about a difference in choices. Chapter six was all about Joshua's choices. Chapter seven is arguably about Achan's choices. And every day we make choices and some of them lead to victory and some of them can lead to failure. And often we can choose the wrong way and sin can be the result. But a failing in life does not make life a failure. And I can testify to that. I'm standing here today in the grace of God. I'm standing here in the grace of God, in his mercy and his forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles... I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed, routed, sorry, by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear, and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. 
The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. So where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go wrong? And if last week was about overcoming our obstacles, this week is about overcoming our failings. So where did it all go wrong? Firstly, they were overconfident. God demonstrated at Jericho that they needed to submit to God's plan. But we read in verse 3, after getting his spies' report, not all the army will have to go up, only a few men are there. So Joshua listened to the spies, and only about 3,000 were sent. We don't read that Joshua seeks God. We don't read that he committed his plans to the Lord. Everything God had tried to teach him at Jericho, he appears to have forgotten at the very next thing. Put simply, he trusted his spies, he trusted in his army, and he trusted in his strength. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Joshua forgot the lesson at Jericho and he did not seek God's plans. A good friend of ours has shared a story with me before where he said he was in charge of putting on a bonfire party at his church And he planned it and he did everything and he made it amazing and nobody turned up. The next year, he put it all in God's hands and prepared less and loads of people turned up. And I think so often God wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants us to follow his plans Just like at Jericho, when he had those clear instructions of marching around, we need to follow God's plans, not our own. So where did it all go wrong? Secondly, well, God's very clear why it all goes wrong. Verse 11 says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. God had seen the committed sin very clearly and was able to tell Joshua, someone has stolen, 
someone has lied and someone has hidden it up. This, it says in verse 12, is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. Israel had disobeyed and violated God's covenant. In chapter 6, if you like, in the first half of this story, God very clearly told them, when you go into Jericho, keep away from the devoted things and ensure all the silver, gold, bronze and iron go into my treasury. Joshua must surely have been wondering who. And sadly, the very chapter subheading tells us who. In the NIV that I'm reading, it says Achan's sin. I'm so grateful there isn't a chapter in the Bible that says Nigel's sin. Achan had heard God's commands. He knew he should not have taken the devoted things. But somehow Achan rationalised his sin. And as a result, he disobeyed God. And when God singles him out in this very public way, ultimately Achan confesses, I saw, I coveted, I took, and now I'm trying to hide my actions, just as God had seen. And the consequences of Achan's actions were wide-reaching. They affected the whole of Israel and his loved ones. I wonder if we can relate to this situation. Have we ever failed to consult God and his plans and relied on our own? Have we ever failed to keep God's commands, rationalised our actions and sinned as a result? I'm raising my hand here. So how, how, thank you brother, how do we overcome our failings? Verse 19, we need to confess. Joshua asks Achan, tell me, what have you done? Verse 20, Achan seems glad to own up. It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. As a result of his sin against God, tragically, he and his loved ones are stoned to death. This isn't a God we quite often like to think about. He did the right thing. He confessed his sins and he ends up being stoned to death. I can almost hear the Christian critics shouting now, that's just as I expected. Being a Christian is all about following rules. You get it wrong, you die, you go to hell. God is all about punishment. But I want to say today that this is not the God I believe in. The God is not a God of punishment, but he is a God of love, mercy 
and justice. Achan was living under the old covenant. We are living under the new covenant. Romans 6, 23 sums this up beautifully and also God's solution. Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. For Achan, it was for him and his family. But God had to break this pattern. He had to give man, he had to give us a way out of our failings. So Paul continues, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins instead. John 3.16, that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And God did not send Jesus to wag an eternal finger at us. In verse 17, it continues, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So let's look at some others that have failed. In John chapter 8, we read about the woman who was caught in adultery. And they brought her to Jesus for punishment. They brought her to be stoned. First, Jesus deals with her accusers, who all leave, leaving with their stones. Ultimately, he asks her, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus saves. He doesn't condemn. John 12, verse 47, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And if this is Jesus's ministry, why is it we find it easier to judge the world and condemn the world when Jesus didn't? There's a book been written uh, by someone called Philip Yancey. And it's called What's So Amazing About Grace. And if you've never read it, it's, it's just brilliant. And I just want to read you this little bit here. This is written, um, or it's, the story is conveyed by someone that was working in a church. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, 
to men interested in sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. At last, I asked her if she ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was feeling terrible about myself. They'd just make me feel worse. Our churches should be bulging at the seams with the hurt and the lost and the broken. People should recognise that the Jesus that we know does not condemn. The Jesus we know does not judge. Somehow, have we lost that compassion? Are we quicker to point the finger and point out the sin? Are we quicker to judge and condemn rather than simply put our arms around them and love them? Jesus had food and spent his time with the sinners and the sick and the lost. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. It should be standing room only in our churches with people desperately coming to receive forgiveness and healing and restoration and wholeness. Where are they? Are they suffering at home in silence? Because we've forgotten this Jesus who came to save. Jesus does not judge or condemns, but loves and heals. And then he says to them afterwards, very gently and encouraging, leave your life of sin. He loves them first. He heals them first. He doesn't say, believe first, then I'll heal you. This is the Jesus the world is dying to know. So how do we deal with our failings? Like Achan, God stills us to, still calls us to confess our failings and our sins. And it's, but it's not to rub our faces in it or humiliate us, but to start the restoration process. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How does Jesus deal with sinners? A convicted thief who acknowledges his crimes to Jesus as he hangs on the cross next to him. Jesus replies, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it is this very death on the cross, his death 
and his shed blood that pays the price for our failings. Romans 4 says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus' death and resurrection removes our sins as far from us as the east to the west, we read in Psalm 103. Jesus' actions cause God not just to forgive us, it says in Hebrews 8, but to forget our sins. Thanks to Jesus, we are justified and we have new lives, just as if I'd never sinned at all. How do we overcome our failings? We acknowledge Jesus, who makes us right with God. Romans 3 says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We overcome our failings by faith, accepting the free grace of Jesus. So we started with choices. The consequence of our failings through bad choices have consequences often not just for us, but also for those around us. But God provides a way out. And his name is Jesus. Maybe today you're feeling you're on your face. Wailing to God about your failings. And maybe today God is speaking to you as he spoke to Joshua. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? When we fail, we need to come back to Jesus. Confess our failings and repent, and he will redeem us. Amen.